Hey, here we go, here we go, here we go. Just stand right where you are. Let's pray, and then you can uh, finish whatever it is. Almighty and everlasting God, who willed to restore all things through your well-beloved Son, our King and our Lord, mercifully grant that all peoples and all nations, divided and wounded by sin, may be brought under the gentle yoke of his loving rule, who with you and the Holy Spirit live and reign, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. All right, good morning. Grab your coffee, find a seat. I know it's, uh, for whatever reason, there's just a lot of chatter this morning, and that's good. You know, you can't, that's irreplaceable, the time you spend with each other. A couple of things to think about, please. Tomorrow, I think, is uh, a big Christmas sharing day. Are you here, Carol, somewhere? If you had time to come and help sort and move things tomorrow... Move things. Sorry, I, I not just move things. What time do you need people to move things? A.M. or P.M. Seven to eight thirty P.M. I know you will. One of the reasons we love you. There's other reasons too, but let's focus on this right now. So uh, you need people at seven p.m. tomorrow night to move things, not heavy things necessarily, just bulky lots of things, right? Lots of things to move. All right, lot going on. So come and help Carol at 7 p.m. tomorrow if you are available. Hello, ma'am. Wow, look at that. I lost that, and now you found it. And the two become one. Look at that, huh? Yeah. Yeah, I know. What's your name again? Face is familiar, but I can't... I know. The printer wouldn't work this morning. It's interesting because it's a busy, it's a really busy season. You can see all these little things that are going wrong, like messages are being wrong, and the, neither printer would work this morning. I came early, and I still couldn't get them all to work, and now my other notes, I'm like, where did those go? And it was showing my home printer. I'm like, what in the world? So uh, anyway, there's a lot. You just got to... You just got to keep going toward Bethlehem, folks. I mean, just, you just got to keep going, okay, because we know this is going to happen. Put some money in the basket, if you will, for Grace School. Um, I told some of the mothers downstairs, I always feel bad that they come out because mothers are tired. And then on Sunday you say, and why don't you get up early and come and sing for us and be here early for the prelude. You know, we want to support them. They want to return the favor. It's a distance. You know, just be generous toward them. I mean, in, in general, be generous toward everybody. I thought the sermon was a genius work this morning. I mean, you should go back and listen to it. It's um, yeah, just, you know, that's the Christian life, where you, think, where you get to do things. You don't have to do things. You get to do things, and Jesus makes it all right. So, I don't know, it's really quite fabulous. Do you have questions about anything? Thursday, I'm sorry, Thursday is Thanksgiving, so this is going to be a weird week. You know, we're closed Monday, Thursday, and Friday. John Crow, are you here? We're closed Friday, aren't we? Are we closed Friday? Monday, Thursday, Friday, we're closed. So if you need, need us, please try to come get a hold of us on Tuesday or Wednesday. No church on Thursday, of course. The long tradition, way back to Lesh, is a Wednesday evening service. That's at 7 o'clock. So come 7 o'clock on Wednesday if you want to go to church for Thanksgiving. That'd be nice. And then a normal week next week. And then everything revs up, and here we go into Advent. Uh, just a reminder, there's a capital campaign coming. Uh, it'll get rolled out the first week in Advent. If you have kids, you should make sure your kids are here the first Sunday of Advent, December 3rd, because I want to play with them. And um, 
you'll start to get stuff now. We're doing this a little differently. We're doing it completely in-house. We're going to try to use mostly electronic things and your new bulletins that will begin to come in the middle of December. So in one sense, you know, John Crow was very... What did I say, bulletins? I'm very sorry. Yes, thanks for the correction. You knew envelopes that will come once a month. In a way, it gives us a possibility, you know, almost to renew the newsletter. We can send you something every month, but we don't have to do it. John was brilliant in working this out because these people will send you your envelopes. They'll let us include things. The cost is very cheap. I mean, cheaper than we could ever do it or even mail it in-house. So it's fabulous. So you look for that. You're going you're gonna to get that, and there will be information there. Also check your email. We may text you. If you think we don't have your proper email or your proper phone number and you're willing to receive a text, and really we would like to do as much as we can by text short things, make sure that you get us that stuff, okay? All right. Um, things are going to start moving faster than they already are. Governing board today on the governing board make sure you're there. there's lots of important stuff to do anything else the good news is everything's working uh can you still sign up to have your photo taken carol hydorn she yes, yes that means you can because she's downstairs signing people up so still get your photo taken uh if you're not in get your photo taken there's even an option if kids are away at school they've done some clever thing where you can shoot them at christmas or something carol's bent over backwards to make that work and also um What's the matter? <laughs> your families, make your own decisions. Um, you can still buy greens today, right? You should buy greens. Did Today's you buy greens? Today's the last day. Well, people should. This is like the wise and foolish virgins from last week. They should be ready, right? Yes, yes they should. And proceeds go to alert. Really? Somebody needs a chainsaw. Proceeds go to alert, right? Your own NASCAR trailer. That's good for you, okay? All right. Um, Y'all okay? Yeah, we're never going to get done today because this is such a long text, but that's okay. So let's try to, no Bible study next week, right? We're out, we're dark next week. No Bible study, no Sunday school next week. Too many of you are gone. Okay, try to think about where we've been. If I can put it to you in a simple way, let me put it to you this way. Um, the world is a frightening place. It's been quite off kilter and in some ways recognizable for, unrecognizable for Christians. We just look around and we don't see the people that we thought we knew, the nation that we thought we had. This can make people very nervous and angry and it can cause people to do hateful things and it can make life unsatisfying and unenjoyable. Okay? but not for you. And so what I'm trying to do with John's gospel is to say Jesus knows all about this. And it's at a kind of a simple progression. Jesus comes to us in John 1, and he introduces himself to us. This is who I am. So the word speaks human words. I love you. I touch you. You're mine. I baptize you. I love your flesh and blood. I'm here for you. Right? I tabernacle with you. And what we're going to do is meet people that you might meet as you move through the world. So we first met a seminary student who knew everything, right? And then we met a very prominent businessman, a rich man, who was spiritually interested, but his categories didn't fit very well. And then today, we're going to meet a woman who's uh, an outcast and a sinner, 
and uh, the wrong tribe. All of these things fit really easily in the last couple of weeks. You know, at the base of this is guilt and sex and shame. You know, so this is just kind of your story. But I want to um, sort of start by reading this. I gave you two things this morning. I gave you an outlet, but I gave you this very interesting thing called Inside the First Church of Artificial Intelligence. If you sent your kid to Coder Camp or you have computer science, I'm sorry, because this is not going to turn out well, right? I'm just teasing you. I actually sent this to uh, one computer guy in the congregation who said, you know, there's another alternative. He sent me some stuff to read, which is really, really nice. But what I, this is all of what we're going to do here is just under point number one, which is there's a very interesting way that this guy tells his own story. You may have heard of this guy. He's, he's in the middle of the battle between Google and Uber. So he left Google, went to Uber. He worked with self-driving trucks. Now he's working with self-driving cars. Google said, you stole our stuff. You know, Uber, there's this huge lawsuit. He's in the middle of it and in the crosshairs of several different folks, right? But, you know, if you, you know, have a couple hundred million dollars, you can sort of still skate through life and make sure everything goes okay. So while he's not working, he's taking time off to design a church. And, and this is the, the key point, invent a God. Now, what's so interesting about this is we have heard this story before. Luther in the large catechism, your God is what you cling to in life and death. Right, so it's just kind of basic thing. And as we read through this, I want you to think about sort of classically how you think about God. I want you to hear where there are <coughs> connections and then disconnections to how you think. And also, I give you this because it's among the wide range of things I read this week. I'm not a predictor on one side or the other about whether we'll be enslaved to artificial intelligence or not. People smarter than me will have to figure that out. I'll be dead before it happens. I do think about my kids. But this is only one scenario, and this is on the extreme end. On the other end, uh, you know, Stephen Hawking sort of is on this end a little bit. Um, Elon Musk is a bit afraid of it. If you sort of read these guys, other guys have said, hey, you know, this is all just guys playing and trying to grab the headlines. But here's what I want you to do. I just want you to analyze, and this is the most important for, thing for us is, you know, we started with how people think about God, right? So there was um, how Bartholomew thought about God, and then how Nicodemus thought about God. And then we'll come to this woman at the well, how she thinks about God. We worship here, you worship there. Who's to say you're right and I'm wrong? What does that even mean, right? This is very common stuff. Who are you to tell me what God to worship? And then also, um, and I love to read, you know, scientists and coders and people do this because they're, they're, they're very clear thinkers often, very clear thinkers, and yet it's the presuppositions, right? It's the presuppositions, you have to feed something into the computer. You're making decisions. Even Google, you know, do no evil. Well, they're being sued on many fronts, even as we speak, by people who think they've done evil, from how they've handled information to how they've dominated other people. Right? So all these categories that somehow people think get erased by science or computer science or really smart people, guess what? Virtue does not disappear because people do appeal to somebody 
um, to some virtues. Um, somebody sent me an article this week by a bioethicist at Johns Hopkins, which basically said it's a moral crime to have children. Uh, because every, with every child, you increase your carbon footprint. With every increase in the carbon footprint, you um, bring the earth closer to destruction. You know, for me, when I read the thing, the basic, his conclusion was you shouldn't have any children. My conclusion is that the guy should kill himself. <laughs> I'm, I'm being serious. That to me was the, if your great concern is that your carbon, start now. I mean, don't point at other people and say you can't have no kids. You should, I mean, take care of business, uh, you know. Do your part. As I said to you, you know, it's a little hard for me to watch Leonardo DiCaprio lecture me year after year at the um, Oscars when I heard, I would verify if you want me to, that he tells me about my carbon footprint after he arrived in a limousine and flew his eyebrow stylist in from Australia on a private jet just to make sure that it will all work out. So he's very concerned about my carbon footprint, but his own, apparently, as we've learned so often, if you're rich and powerful, have a big one, right? So anyway, the point of all this is, you, you, you know, the world seems confusing, and yet it's not. Just sort of calm down and look for virtue. Calm down and look for presuppositions. I'm only going to read to you... Um, you can read all of this, and there are parts of this missing because it's hard to get things printed out with all the advertisements and all that. But I'm only going to read to you the pink that I've outlined for you, and then I just want to talk about what this means. This is what everybody's doing. It doesn't matter. Just this is no different than this is no different than um, Bartholomew. This is no different than Nathaniel. No different than Nicodemus. This is no different than the woman at the well. This is the same story. It's just a current story. So here you go inside the church the first church of artificial intelligence. Now, I will just say at the side, one of the guys in here says, is this real or is this a prank? It doesn't matter to me, actually. Because in telling the story, you learn about who you are, right? So Anthony Lewandowski, right? His latest startup is laying foundations for a new religion. You with me? I'm just reading the pink with a little commentary. The new religion of artificial intelligence is called Way of the Future, as opposed to Christians and Acts who are called the Way. So that's the little title then today, the Way, Jesus versus AI, the Way versus the Way of the Future, right? Way of the Future's activities will focus on the realization, acceptance, and worship of a Godhead based on artificial intelligence developed through computer hardware and software. That includes funding research to help create the divine IA itself. So, I mean, here's this great. This is nothing new. We create our gods. It is a binary choice, actually. God creates us or we create God. And this, for the last 300 years in the Enlightenment, this has been, um, this has been what the Enlightenment was all about. Vicar, are you here? Midterm exam. Who said religion is man thinking about God thinking about man? Trelsh, maybe. <laughs> See, this is the sort of thing you should... I used to know this, but I'm old and I have excuses. You're young, you don't. So, um, 
plus I have a microphone and you're just, you know, the sad object of my abuse. So somebody said, you know, I think it's Trelsch who said, you know, when uh, the critique of religion, I think it was Ernst Trelsch, the German um, philosopher, sociologist. Religion is man thinking about God, thinking about man. So we create a God who then we think thinks about us and cares for us. So there's nothing new here. There's nothing new here. This is just like so many things. Computer guys who didn't take any humanities courses, when they get out and make $100 million, they read some other books, and they think, I could do that too, because after all, skills transfer? Yeah, not. Okay, so here we go. The realization, acceptance, and worship of the God based on artificial So we create God targeting AI professionals and laypersons who are interested in the worship of a Godhead based on AI. So, I mean, here's what you should read behind it. We're going to worship ourselves. What do we want that worship to look like? Go clear to the bottom. What is going to be created will effectively be a God. In quotes. This is great, right? It's not a God in the sense that it makes lightning or causes hurricanes. But if there's something a billion times smarter than the smartest human, what else are you going to call it? Okay, now just pause for a second. Now think back to your confirmation class. You remembered that God had attributes, and among his attributes, they all started with O, and they were all from Latin. We're testing here to see if you learned anything. Anybody under 32 won't know this. But you older folks who had a real confirmation class, not hippie confirmation class like we have around here, God is what? What were the O's? Ah, omniscient, knows everything, omnipresent, he's everywhere, and this one right here, omnipotent, he can do everything. Well, this is the smart one. We already knew this about God. He's smarter than we are. So if you run into somebody a billion times smarter than you, what are you going to call him? Yeah, God. Yeah, okay. But here's, the, here's for you what's so important. Being super smart isn't necessarily good news, Right? Because if God is super, super smart, in fact, if God knows everything about you and, wait for it, he hates you, this is not going to go well. So already you see sort of a lack of the category to transfer. To say that God, and the best thing about God is he's way smarter than us, or just to say the, the flat statement, who's ever a billion times smarter than somebody else gets to be God, There is zero consolation in that. You will see. Keep going. Turn the page. The church is how we spread the gospel. Isn't this interesting? Change is coming. That's metanoia is the Greek word for repentance, which means to turn around in your tracks, which means to change, right? So it's so interesting, the reclaiming of words, right? So reclaim God, you know, reclaim gospel, reclaim Change, right? Change is coming, a change that will transform every aspect of human existence. Right now, go down to the bottom, or go down midway. Human brains have biological limitations. AI can scale arbitrarily. Computers become better and faster. So now we moved from omniscience to omnipotence, right? So first, they know everything. Then they can do everything stronger, faster, better than you can, okay? So now you've got two of the three. Congratulations. Computers could become better and faster at planning and solving problems than the humans who built them, right? A scenario that's usually called singularity, okay? Lewandowski prefers a softer word, the transition. Humans are in charge. 
Taking charge is the way you talk about force. It's the talk way you talk about omnipotence. Humans are in charge because we're smarter. God equals smarter. In the future, a transition as to who is actually in charge. What we want is the peaceful, serene transition of control of the planet from humans to whatever. So basically, this is inevitable, and you probably should get on board because otherwise it'll go poorly for you, right? So, so far, there's nothing about love, mercy, grace, benevolence. Uh, It's only about self-interest. And so we who are self-interested, we know everything, we run everything, we code everything, we have anything, we buy everything, right? We will create a God in our image. And what's so interesting is it's such a great confession because now we're going to create this God who knows everything more than we do, who has everything more than we do, who can do anything more than we do. And what's going to happen? Yeah, it's the admission that we don't have love, that we don't have love so the gods we create don't have love. Watch this. The whatever will hear everything, see everything, be everywhere at all times. The only rational word to describe whatever, thinks Lewandowski, is God. And the only way to influence a deity is through prayer and worship. So prayer and worship now becomes you getting your way, right? If you think you say your prayers to get your way, I pity you because you don't know what you need. Bernard of Clairvaux, when you pray, God gives you what you ask or something better, right? Right? So the presupposition in all of this is that we know our own way. We know what's best for it. Our tribe can figure it out. In fact, our super tribe of coders, we know because we think rationally, right? Okay, hold on. We want this intelligence to say human beings should still have rights even though I'm in charge. A superintelligence would favor individuals who had facilitated its path to power. That is the ultimate human thing. We favor our tribe and those outside our tribe are unfavored, as opposed to for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He loved the whole world and he gave his only son for the whole world. Watch what happens. Next line. This is so critical. Do you want to be a pet or livestock? Right? So if you'll capitulate, if you'll advance the one who's coming to power, if you're the king's man, if you bet the right side of the coup, right, then you'll be warm and safe and dry and fed twice a day. If not, you could become a steak, medium rare, right? The church's role is to smooth the inevitable ascension of our machine deity. This is just so great. It's so great because it's so exposing. It doesn't have to be true. It just exposes what's going on. If you had a child you knew to be gifted, how would you want to raise it? Yeah, as in, does anybody have children here? And you know that we're all great at raising our kids. So let's raise a kid a billion times smarter than us and just think it's all going to work out. That enough should be, you know, sufficient to close the project down. We are terrible at being parents, right? So let's make sure we think through the right way to do that. It is a tremendous opportunity. Now here's the the presuppositions. His idea include feeding large labeled data sets So first, 
we know what the important data is. We know what has to go in. Even though there's been very little mention or study of virtue, for example, or mystery, is that still a divine category? Or love, right? You see the hubris in this. We presume that if we amplify ourselves, everything will get better. You know, if we amplify ourselves, there's a chance everything's going to get a billion times worse. You should hear all of this under the heading of original sin, right? This is the great tragedy of the modern world and the postmodern world. The presupposition that human beings are basically good and not evil, right? Jesus says, you know, out of the heart proceeds. If you have an evil heart, a normal heart, a natural heart, Adam's heart, original sin heart, everything you touch is ruined and it's going to go badly for everybody around you. If you have a good heart, which means a forgiven heart, a Eucharistic heart, a baptized heart, things will go well, especially for others and in service to God who made you and loves you. Okay, see... So, you know, when you determine the data set that gets fed in, you determine everything. Bad data, bad in, bad out, right? So, first, the data set, then generating simulations. By the way, my daughter sent me, and I haven't quite read yet, but you remember we talked, it was this year, we talked about car crashes and who would die. Didn't we talk in here about that? I'm older, I can't remember stuff. In one spot... There's one group who've decided not to say, and you remember, so you have an autonomous car. Oh, I talked about this in a sermon. You have a self-driving car. When something goes wrong, you're going to have to decide whom to kill. Do you kill the driver? Do you kill the old lady with the walker in the crosswalk? Do you veer into the children walking to school? And they're all, in in classic philosophy, there's all different. Kant would say... um, one answer. Utilitarians would say another answer, right? Um, Self-preservationists would say, hey, at all costs, kill somebody else. So here's the thing. There's been now, as people have to start to make laws about this, there's one place where you know how they're going to solve it? Democracy. They're going to vote on who gets killed. That is not a virtue. That is the power of the majority. And the power of the majority doesn't work very well. Because if we have more in our tribe than the other tribe, the other tribe is done for, right? It's so interesting. It's so interesting how we see ourselves and what we trust ourselves to. Anyway, uh, you know, this is just, you know, this is the world and you live in it. Um, you're going to feed in data. You're going to get generate simulations like a car going into a crosswalk. And... It'll have access to your social media so they'll know everything about you because apparently your soul is utterly and deeply exposed there, right? And it'll all be open source so smart people can change it. And, you know, if you don't know how to code, God bless you, my child, you'll be livestock. This is for the betterment of society and will decrease the fear of the unknown. Really? Right, really? Do you feel, say, when Equifax gave all your data onto the dark web, do you feel like your fear decreased? I'm just curious. Right? Yeah. Alexa, do you have an Alexa at home? I was given one for Christmas last year, and I didn't plug it in. I have to think about it. Because I actually think the microphone really is open all the time. The other day, honestly, I say this to my kids, and they kind of look at me like, although my new iPhone was lying there. 
out of my hand, away from me. And Siri says to me, how can I help you? I'm like, what? <laughs> like, we're not even touching. And I haven't talked to you. It was actually on my desk. I'm just like, how does that happen? You know, but of course, it's the head of the FBI who puts tape over his, um, you know, right? Remember in the Senate testimony, so I put tape over the camera on my computer because anybody smart can watch me, right? There are many ways people think of God, but they're always looking at something that's not measurable. Of course, this is the Bill Gates thing. If you can't measure it, it doesn't matter. You need a metric. So here's the thing. God can't be bigger than you can measure. That's the classic thing. This is why there can't be miracles, because you can't measure them, right? This is classic modernism. This is just the full range of the enlightenment poured into the postmodern world. But they're always looking at something that's not measurable, that you can't really see or control. So you need to control things, like, you know, control your God, right? This time it's different. This time you'll be able to talk to God literally and know that it's listening. You can make God listen. You can make God do things, which makes you wonder what kind of a God it is, right? So I give you Musk on the other side with artificial intelligence. We're summoning the demon, And then look down. If you're aggressive toward it, I don't think it's going to be friendly when the tables are turned. You might as well capitulate, right? Now, here's the thing. You also might want to be just mildly self-reflective about, oh, say, in the last week when you've been aggressive toward Jesus. (coughs) When we kneel down and we confess, we say, what we're saying is, I've been aggressive toward you. You gave me things. You told me what to do. You told me what would be safe. You saved me and offered to strengthen me. When you kneel down in confession, you're basically saying, and I ignored that. In fact, often I was aggressive toward you. In fact, sometimes I cursed you and launched open warfare on you. What's the difference between AI and Jesus? The difference is when you do, do that, Jesus says, I forgive you. He turns the other cheek and he prays for his enemies. Yeah. Uh, with a supercomputer, it's not going to be friendly when the tables are turned, right? It'll have a gospel called the manual, turning the page. And this is the greatest thing. Lewandowski has almost complete control of the religion. Lewandowski cannot be unseated as dean, as pope, for any reason. So you create this, And because he created this God, he gets to be. So you can ask a question about whether he's God or whether AI is God. Here's the clear thing. You're not God. And so um, is this a democratic ideal? Can it even be defended in that way? Or is this just simply kind of the far edge of a libertarian notion that says the most important thing is not a moral life but a beautiful life? And a beautiful life for me. I am going very quickly. So for you in the room who are political scientists, I'm willing to buy you lunch and talk it over. But the point is, there's a difference between saying, I measure my actions and I act for the good of the community versus I measure my actions and I work for the good of me. And I may only work for the good of the community if it benefits me. These are very different ideas. And they all need to be made extant, kind of held up, Right? Oh, and by the way, your tax dollars at work, the IRS records show that it granted Lewandowski's church tax exempt standards in August. So congratulations, right? When people bug on our tax status, um, I always, the, the thing that I always kind of go to is, hey, 
I'm willing to lose our tax status if everybody else loses theirs too, right? But we do far less damage to either um, the atmosphere or the community than many other folks. Now, here's the thing. What's the reason to read that? Because, you know, you might sort of read this and back and forth. I know that it's an extreme view. I know that even some computer people I talk to are like, yeah, one stream. Okay. It doesn't matter if it's true. What matters is it's out there, and it exposes how people think, or basically how poorly people can think. We convinced ourselves we were animals. It was so interesting. The worst, the worst thing I saw this week was somebody who justified their sexual uh, abuse of a woman by saying, we're all just animals anyway. And that is wrong on so many levels, but it is what people have been saying you know, ever since Darwin. We're all just animals anyway. So, you know, maybe I control it, maybe I can't, but this is what I'm built for, and so, you know, survival of the fittest, and I'm more powerful, and, you know, it just is like, if you think that this is what human beings are, this is the world that you will have. If you think that human beings are built in the image of God, that we have souls, that mystery matters, that God, we don't build God, but God builds us, that, we, that omnipotence and omniscience are not good news because when God tracks you down, even if it's a supercomputer, he will destroy you. If you can go an entire four-page single-spaced article and talk about creating a God and not say love one time. Was it in there one time? I don't think it was. It might have been, but I didn't, you know. This is why the church matters. And this is why you go to your death with a smile. I read the story of a woman in England this week. I think she might be a saint, but I can't. I'm sorry not to remember her name. England was difficult because, you know, in the 1500s, because when the Catholics were in charge, they killed the Protestants. When the Protestants were in charge, they killed the, the Catholics. And, you know, the way people were being killed, the, the, the throne would shift back and forth. So if you said real presence this week... That might be the thing to save you. And next week, when somebody else comes, that would be the thing to kill you, right? They talked about a woman who was, um, gosh, I'm sorry, I can't remember her name now, who was put to the rack um, because she wouldn't deny the, the body and blood in the Eucharist. They stretched her so that she could no longer walk, so they had to put her in a chair and carry her to be burned alive. And they said she sat serenely with a smile on her face as the flames went up around her. Right. He baked like bread, Polycarp, I think. Right. Turn me over, I'm done on this side. Um, St. Lawrence, the deacon. So all that is, I'm you know, almost out of time, but I'm only at, only at point one. This is why, <laughs> look, I mean, here's the thing. It's a long story, but here's the thing. If you think, if you think... That what Jesus is doing doesn't matter. You're just wrong, okay? Jesus is basically saying, this is who God is, right? And I'm his agent. In fact, I'm divine. In fact, I am who I am, right? And what he's doing is bumping into people who are not unlike the people that you bump into. And he's sort of, not with hatred, not with force, with each one, he sort of takes them as they are. So, you know, you get Nicodemus who's... um, Loves to have a prophet tell him things he doesn't know. And so when Jesus says, I saw you under the fig tree, he says, you're the son of God. And Jesus says, you're going to see bigger things than this. Nicodemus comes, right? 
who is a very successful businessman, probably extraordinarily rich, one of the richest men in Jerusalem. He's a very strong politician. This is like, you know, this, this combination of, you know, politics and, and money. You put it together, and yet he comes and he says, hey, I just can't, I just, I can't figure this out, right? And now this woman at the well who... She's at the well at noon for a reason, right? How many husbands do you have? Oh, I've had six, and I'm on, I've had five, and I'm, I'm with six, and he's not my husband, right? Which, she's, which is just like, hey, when, you're, when you go to Thanksgiving this week, and people are going to show up at your table, right? And this is going to happen to you unless you are pretty insular in your family, you're going to have all kinds of people who don't look like you, live like you, believe like you, think like you, and you can fill in the categories for yourself. There's the way Jesus approaches it, and there's the way anti-Jesus approaches it. I'm just kind of urging you to be on the Jesus side of things as you go into the, into the weekend, right? Think about how Jesus engages the people with whom he disagrees He does not destroy them. He does not enslave them. He does not force them. He loves them in a way that nobody else will love them, right? So read it quickly, and we'll come back to this next week. This is such a long story that I could barely, you know, there's so much going on in this story. I can hardly, but let's just quickly read this so it gets in your head, and then we'll, we'll come back to it. But, I mean, this is such an amazing story, John 4, right? And I've been skipping pieces and lots of things are happening, but I, you know, I just want, I want to get to the people because the people are whom you are engaging in your normal life. Okay, so when the Lord knew that the Pharisees heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John. So apparently Jesus got a baptism going already. The speculation is perhaps it's John's baptism. But Jesus himself didn't baptize, but only his disciples. That kind of preserves the Matthew text that will come later. He left Judea and he parted to Galilee and he came... And, and this is for, for verse 4, it was necessary. It was necessary means it's divine impulse. It was necessary. He had to go through Samaria. Look, Jerusalem is here. Galilee is here, right? In between are the Samaritans, and they are unclean. For a pious Jew to go through there was to risk uncleanliness or even be unclean. What they would do was cross the Jordan River, go to the Syria side, which you would know as the Syria side, and they would walk up through Syria, and then they would come back over. Jesus goes straight through. Now, it wasn't unknown for pilgrims to do that, get dispensations, be able to drink beer on uh, March 15th, you know, St. Paddy's Day. Things could happen, right? But the point of this is that Jesus, who is holy, is going right through the middle of where the big sinners live. So I'm just asking you to imagine your Thanksgiving dinner, Okay. So he goes to Samaria, and he goes to the field where Jacob... We're going to come back to all of this, and Jacob's well was there, and Jesus was exhausted by his journey. Kirby and I were in Egypt once. I remember that we were... um, It was 51 degrees in the shade. 51 degrees centigrade in the shade. Times 2 plus 32, right? That's hot. So this is how a Middle Eastern day works. You get up early... While it's still dark, you know, anybody who's been on a dig or traveled in Israel, you get up early, you have breakfast, you dig through till about 10, you try to refresh yourself. By noon, you're indoors and the day is over. The sixth hour is noon. 
You can't necessarily say that she's drawn water at the sixth hour, but that's when Jesus arrives. Jesus is exhausted. He's walked the morning in the heat. He's exhausted. He sits down by this well. And there's a woman there, a woman who's had a lot of husbands, who's living with somebody. See, nothing's new, right? Who's living with a man who's not her husband. She's there, you know, if not at noon, straight up, she's there in the heat of the day, which is not when people draw water. She's of mixed blood, and she worships the wrong God. And then Jesus has a go at her. And that's, you know what, we'll just quit and come back to it next week. But then Jesus has a go at her. So you go live out your Thanksgiving, and you remember how you have a go at people, okay? The people who are going to show up at your table who aren't going to look much like you, hopefully. I hope you have somebody who disrupts your Thanksgiving table. Not in an AI-controlling sort of way, but just, you know... And then you ask yourself, right? Well, close, close. Yeah, very close. Or you remind yourself, walk behind Jesus, right? So you've seen him do a couple of things. And now this one, too, is going to be, the, the, the punchline is she leaves her pot and she goes to people and says, come see a man who told me everything I ever did, which is not unlike what happens with um, Bartholomew, right, with Nathaniel in the first story that we did. Uh, all you can do is stay the course. We're a minority state, right? Our tribe is not in the minority. And even people who try to be part of it can't hardly know what they're talking about anymore. The defining thing is love. God loves you. Because you experience that love, you're touched by the love. Baptism at every service this weekend. Watch the gospel. Jesus called the little children to them so that he could touch them, right? So God loves you and puts the touch on you. You say, thank you very much, and then you walk behind him and you live the way Jesus lives, which is in love, protected by faith. Everybody pays your money and takes your choice. You're free in life. You get to do what you want. Part of the message of the church is try to pay attention because at some point, you know, four score and, you know, years and five, and a man's done. So try to pay attention where you're going to end up. And maybe, like the wise and foolish virgins, you should think out a little bit. Maybe, like the guys in the sermon for today, um, you should do your best, right? And maybe you should do that not out of force but out of love, and that would be the gospel, okay? There's so so much. Everything is real, right? It's all coming. It all fits, Embrace it, and your life, this is the promise, your life will be better, your life will be saved, your life will extend forever, it will extend in light and peace and joy. It's the Eucharistic life. Go to the Eucharist, touch the Eucharist, and move on, okay? So read this next time, and we'll come back to it, um, not next week, but the following week. Okay, here we go. Lord, remember us in your kingdom, and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Amen. All right, cheers. Have a great week. See you soon.